Welcome to the Art of Mathematics. I'm Carol Jacoby, and joining me today is Dr. Paul Eckloff, Professor Emeritus of the University of California, Irvine. Thank you for joining us, Paul. My pleasure. I understand that you taught a course on abstract algebra and famous impossibilities, which is something I'm really interested in. How do you prove something's impossible? Yes, that was the uh, third uh, quarter of a year-long sequence. Um, UC Irvine is divided into quarters. Three quarters make a whole. Um, and we, it was a chance to use some of the abstract algebraic techniques that were developed in the first parts of the course to, to prove that certain famous problems were uh, impossible to solve. Uh, I, the course uh, finished with the uh, proof that you couldn't find general formulas for roots of polynomials of degree five or higher. The first part of the course uh, dealt with three famous problems of antiquity, so-called straight edge and compass problems, are sometimes known as ruler and compass problems. And uh, those are uh, trisecting an angle, doubling a cube and squaring the circle. And the idea was the, the tools that you could use are very restrictive, a straight edge, that's a ruler without any lines on it that uh, you use to uh, draw a line between two points and a compass that you use to draw a circle. Um, and you got new points by intersecting circles and lines. And uh, the Greeks knew how to bisect an angle, but they said uh, they didn't know how to use those tools and just those tools to trisect an arbitrary angle. The trisection is the thing that really got me interested in math, believe it or not. I ran into that in geometry and I was one of these cocky kids. I thought, oh, I'm a great mathematician. They say this is impossible, but that just means nobody's figured out how to do it. There are infinitely different, many different ways you could do it. So I worked on it for a long time. I had a lot of fun with it. Of course, I never did it. I got a pretty good approximation, but it was the thing that got me interested in math. That there were these unsolved problems that someone could try to work on by themselves. And it really, it really fascinated me. Yeah, yes, you were one of many, many people over the centuries who attempted to uh, solve these problems and were fascinated by these problems, perhaps because they're so simple to describe. Uh, the Greeks uh, even had a, a special word, uh, tetragonazine, which meant uh, obsessed with uh, quadrature or squaring the circle. And uh, so even back then, uh, they, were, they were doing that. Something that's interested me, and a lot of people have asked about this, is, well, trisecting an angle, why would they do that? You can just take a protractor and you count it out and you divide by three and there you've got it. They had this whole idea about the ruler and the compass. And there seemed to be, for it, the way I understand it, is sort of a religious basis to it. I know as far as doubling the cube, there was a legend. It came from an attempt to appease the gods. There was a plague and they, they were told that if they build an altar that was twice the size of the existing one, a particular altar, then the gods would be happy and would end the plague. So there was this kind of mystical religious thing about it. And of course, the gods aren't going to be happy with somebody just measuring something because that's not going to be exact. There's the ruler, the straight edge, straight line, and the compass, which draws a perfect circle. Those are your two perfect shapes, and that's all you're allowed to use. Uh, geometry, for those uh, encountered it in high school, is, is a, 
a pretty rigorous theoretical subject. You, you, you go by proof. Everything is done according to a rigorous proof. And when my daughter was taking geometry, it wasn't like that at all. It was about finding areas of rectangles and that sort of thing. And they didn't have that very rigorous proof structure, which was what fascinated me was you can take some simple axioms that are obvious to anybody and go off from that step by step and come up with something that may be surprising. Now they've been proved impossible. These problems have been proved impossible when I was in high school, but the Greeks hadn't proved that they were impossible. But it seemed like for many years, people thought they were impossible, but nobody had proved it. Do you know anything about that? Uh, yes, that's right. Um, it really, it wasn't until the 19th century that they were proved uh, impossible to solve. And that required uh, the techniques of algebra. But I think that professional mathematicians really knew uh, with experience that these couldn't be solved, but they continued to attract the amateurs to the, to the point where the French Royal Academy uh, in the 18th century was swamped with uh, proposed solutions. And they got so tired of having to deal with those that they made an announcement uh, that they would no longer consider solutions of these three problems of antiquity. They also said they would no longer deal with proposals for perpetual motion machines. Well, that's interesting. The Greeks were very good at geometry, but they didn't really have algebra. So a key step in uh, solving the problems was uh, the work of Descartes in the 17th century, turning uh, algebra, geometry, if you like, into algebra through the introduction of Cartesian coordinates, so-called. Oh yeah, that's where you've got the the number line, one going across and one going up and down and they cross at zero. And so you have points relative to those two lines. And for example, a circle would have an equation, x squared plus y squared equals one or something like that. It's interesting how it took a completely different branch of mathematics to get some insight into the Greek problems of pure geometry. But I guess that was what did it, was the use of Cartesian coordinates and the fact that you could represent something both algebraically and ge geometrically. Mm -hmm. And you could, you could solve for the coordinates of the, of the point where a circle and the line met, for example. And it, you then turn the, the problem into one of, of constructing points in the plane or even going further points on the line. Uh, the coordinates of the point. So it becomes a problem about numbers, about real numbers and whether you can construct them with ruler and compass. So that means that some of the abstract concepts that have nothing to do with geometry, like groups that I talked about in a previous podcast, can be useful or can be applied here in, a, in this different area. Uh, that's right. And uh, the notion of, of so-called fields and vector spaces, uh, abstract notion which it's a vector space is a collection of, of some numbers that has a dimension associated to and then the dimension of those vector spaces turns out to be the key to the impossibility uh, proofs. Um, if I can get a little uh, technical for a moment you can show that any number that can be constructed with straight edge and compass has got to belong to a uh, vector space, which is a, has its dimension is a power of two, two, four, eight, 16, and so on. But on the other hand, to take one example, the problem of the doubling of a cube, 
comes down to uh, constructing the number, the cube root of two. And you can show that any uh, vector space that the cube root of two belongs to has got to have a dimension divisible by three. So it can't belong to one of these spaces that has a dimension of power of two. And that, that's just a slight outline of uh, how the impossibility proofs go. That's very interesting. It sounds as though what you're saying is there's some certain characteristic that any construction would have. And if what you're trying to construct doesn't have that characteristic, no matter how many steps you carry through mm -hmm. to make the construction, you're, you can never get to it, no matter how far you go. Now, trisection is different because there are some angles that can be trisected. You could trisect, say, a 90-degree angle. I bet some of the cranks have tried to do that and say, oh, here, I can trisect an angle. But there are other angles, like 60 degrees, that can't be trisected. Right, and so to prove the problem is impossible, you just need to produce one angle that you can't trisect. Now, the, um, the third of the classical problems is the problem of the squaring of the circle. Given a circle of a given area, for example, a circle of radius one has area pi, pi r squared or pi one squared, you want to construct with straight edge and compass a square which has the same area, which in our particular case would mean a square whose side is the square root of pi. That problem took a little longer to resolve because you needed to know more about the, the nature of pi than was known in the uh, early 19th century. The first two problems uh, that we talked about, this trisection and the doubling of a cube were solved around 1837, but it wasn't until 1882 that the squaring of the circle was proved impossible. And that was when a mathematician named uh, Lindemann proved that uh, the number pi is transcendental. We don't need to, to discuss exactly what that means, but it meant that any one of these vector spaces that pi belongs to, or the square root of pi, has infinite dimension and therefore doesn't have dimension of power of two. So that was a very deep fact about pi. And in this case, the methods of the calculus come in to prove this, this to solve this geometric problem. Oh, interesting. So you have these three problems that seem fairly similar because they're all essentially ruler and compass constructions, or at least that's where they come from. And yet the proof techniques are far afield and very different. Correct, yes. Now, despite the fact that these problems have finally been proved impossible to solve, and I actually did see one of these proofs in my junior year in college in, a, in an abstract algebra class. Mm -hmm. And it blew me away because I still had it in my mind that, well, nobody had solved these. These are just famous unsolved problems. But this proof that showed you really couldn't solve it. So that's been done. People know that. People know that these have been proved impossible to solve. People keep trying to do it. In fact, in the past century, there were a whole bunch of them, and they came to be known as cranks. This terminology came out of a book. Uh, it was a review of a book back in 1906, where they said a crank is someone who can't be turned. And the thought is these people get it in their mind that they've solved this problem. And no matter what you tell them, you're not going to be able to convince them that they haven't. In fact, uh, John Nash is a Nobel laureate and made famous by uh, the movie A Beautiful Mind, had to say in a proposal he sent to, to the NSA in 1955, I am not a crank. 
So there'd been that many cranks around and people had kind of gotten used to hearing from them. And I don't know if I'm a crank. I don't think I am because once I saw the impossibility proof, I was convinced. Do you ever get mail or did you ever get mail from cranks? Oh, yes, I think every mathematician uh, does. Uh, I don't remember specifically uh, getting getting any about these uh, straight edge and, uh, and compass problems, but I did get ones uh, attempting to uh, disprove Cantor's proof that there are more irrationals than rationals, which I think you talked about on a previous episode. That kind of diagonal argument really confounds uh, some people. This sounds like a super crank because they're trying to disprove something that's already been proved. <laughs> uh-huh. So there's yes, already, right. the that's problem's right. already yeah. been solved uh-huh. and they're trying to unsolve it, I guess. That's very interesting. My favorite story is about the president of Duquesne University, uh, who in uh, 1931 announced uh, that he had found a method for trisecting an angle. Uh, Of course, his math department was in a fit with this, but it became uh, quite well known, was even um, published in Time magazine, the fact that he had found this solution. He refused to reveal it at first because until he got it patented and a a prominent mathematician pointed out that the problem had been proved impossible in 1837. And his response was, it is his privilege to think what he likes. The problem was just like many others that have been declared impossible of solution. A solution has been found. Well, when he finally did reveal it, it turns out what he had is actually a complicated method for tripling an angle rather than a method of trisecting an angle. (laughs) That's quite different. (laughs) So all you circle squares and angle trisectors out there, don't send us your solutions, please. We know they're impossible, so don't just send us your solutions. All right, how about a puzzle? First, let's review the puzzle from last time. There's a rectangular plate of brownies and a rectangle not necessarily parallel to the sides of the pan removed. How can you cut the remainder of the brownies evenly into two equal areas with one straight cut? Now, the first thing you have to notice is that any straight cut at any angle that goes through the center of a rectangle is going to cut it into two equal parts. And that goes for the whole as well as the entire rectangle. So if you make a straight cut that passes through both, both the center of the rectangle and the center of the hole, the two parts will be equal, half the plate of brownies and half the hole. Now the puzzle for next time. Imagine a chessboard. It's an eight by eight grid of squares. They're usually alternately colored. And suppose you have a bunch of one by two dominoes that each fit exactly the right size to cover two adjacent squares on the chessboard. These can be used to tile the chessboard. In other words, you can lay them out so that with no overlap and no overhang, and they cover the entire chessboard. Now, suppose you remove the diagonally opposite corners of the chessboard. Can you still tile it with these dominoes? Either demonstrate a solution or prove it's impossible. So repeating the puzzle, you have an eight by eight chessboard with the squares on diagonally opposite corners removed and a bunch of dominoes, each exactly the size of two adjacent squares. Can you put them on the board to exactly cover all the squares with no overlap or overhang? 
and we'll have the solution for you next time. Professor Ekloff, it has been a real pleasure to have you on this show, and I enjoyed talking about all these impossible problems that really are impossible. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you. We'd love to hear from you. If you have a puzzle or something else that you'd like to share on the air, leave a voice message at anchor.fm slash theartofmathematics with hyphens or email me at cjacoby at jacobyconsulting.com. Thanks for listening.